unwind de-stress. But yeah, it's usually something fictional, like a story, something with a good story that you know I can just follow, whether it's a comedy or drama, but just something I can just kind of get lost in in that world, that universe. Um, you know, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a good thing. A little bit is okay, just to kind of help you unwind after work or whatnot. Um, you know, but this, that's a different sermon. You know, that's not what I'm talking about today. So I love, I like TV. And recently, I've been watching a Korean crime drama called Partners for Justice. But the literal translation of the Korean title is actually Investigation Couple. <laughs> so I think they tried to make the English title sound a bit more serious. But the Korean is Kompop Namnyo. Namnyo is man woman. So literally it's investigation man woman couple. And I, I didn't know that's what it translated to when I started watching. I thought it was just like a, a crime drama, right? Hard hitting, you know, forensic science, right? <laughs> and the first the I should have known better. The fir- and the first episode actually didn't really have much romance. I mean, they had, like, good-looking guy, good-looking woman, like, all that stuff. But, you know, by the end of episode eight, we see that Korean love triangle starting to come into place. Um, the woman ends up moving into the same building as, like, the her, like, frenemy guy at the police, like, all that kind of stuff. And um, But anyway, putting the Korean love triangle aside, the story centers around a precocious young female lawyer who, uh, her name is Unso, and she has just become a prosecutor in the East Seoul District Office, right? So that's, uh, the prosecutor is the person who investigates crimes and brings charges on behalf of the government against criminals. So it's like the government's lawyer. The other main character is like a, a crusty former doctor who now performs autopsies at the National Forensic Service. service. His name is Peckbomb. Right, it's kind of like, if you ever watched House, it's kind of like that grumpy House kind of character. And they work together to solve homicides, murder crimes, and punish criminals. <laughs> That's the, so that, this is the show. This is the show. So the second, so I just finished the second crime. So this is like episode seven or eight, and they've just solved the second crime. And the second crime, it involved a dispute between the wife of a man who had died from an illness, so like something like cancer, and his three sisters. Right, the wife was asking for his body to be exhumed, to be dug up, and a paternity test to be conducted to see if the baby which she conceived through IVF was his, right? So because he was sick, I think they just did IVF instead of the normal way, right? And so the baby would, the baby would grow up. So her argument is, I want the baby to have a father, like a legally acknowledged father. Like, this is a big deal in Korea, having your lineage, right? in terms of your future prospects and life, marriage, all those kind of things. The sisters claimed, you're just doing this so that you can get the family inheritance. 
You just want the money because you have his child. And so they wanted to block the autopsy, stop the body from being dug up. They dug up the body, stop the body from going into the building. They got it into the building anyway. They like literally called the authorities to get them to stop this procedure. They did it. And in the end, they discovered that the husband had not died of illness, but in fact had died from a blow to the back of the head. They found a depressed fracture in the back of his head. Who did it? Did the sisters, who actually didn't like their brother because he was adopted and had taken away their inheritance... Oh, it's getting, it's getting interesting now. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> Did the sisters kill him to regain the family inheritance? These are like, and these are like the typical, like the three ugly sisters kind of characters. Like they're very mean and, and nasty. Or... Is this sweet, innocent wife, loving wife, is she lying? Did she actually only marry him for the money? If you don't want to be spoiled, I'm going to say spoiler alert and you can block your ears, but it's kind of actually part of the message, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I did not think about that. I did not think about Well, maybe you can watch this in a few months after you've watched it already. So most people enjoy a good detective story. And I think it's often because of the element of mystery. Who did it? You know, we associate the word mystery with that feeling of suspense, that thrill of the unknown. You know, we're waiting in anticipation for something that's about to be revealed, like the identity of the, uh, the murderer. But I wonder if you've ever associated the gospel of Jesus with mystery. Is, do you, have you ever seen it in that way? The way that Paul does in our passage today. He calls it a mystery. You know, we get the word mystery almost directly from the Greek. So in the Greek, the word is musterion. Can you all say that? Musterion. Right. Uh, so in English, sometimes the U in Greek is changed to a, double, uh, a Y. So like hyper in English is actually hooper in Greek. So mystery, musterion. Right. And actually the word comes from the, the verb muo, which means to shut the mouth. I didn't realize Greeks both Korean, spoke Korean too. <laughs> shut the mouth. <laughs> right. So that's where the meaning of mystery comes from. Shutting the mouth, withholding knowledge, something that's hidden, that has not been revealed. But it's, yeah, so it's not just ignorance that I don't know something, but it's when something has been hidden, when some knowledge or wisdom has been held back that causes the mystery. Sometimes that hidden knowledge causes confusion, right? So mystery is not just about like excitement. 
But sometimes mystery causes confusion. You know, something doesn't make sense. So we got the mystery that comes from, like, I don't know the facts, that hidden knowledge. We call it, like, obscurity. Obscure, it's hard to see. And then there's mystery that actually is about something that's confusing. Something that seems like a contradiction on the facts. A paradox. It's such a mystery how that's possible, right? A second sense of mystery. And so we can see, like, in our crime case, there's a mystery about we don't have enough evidence to know what really went on, who, who did it. And then sometimes there seems to be a contradiction. So what happens in our, in our, in our crime drama is that evidence that was revealed seemed to contradict the current facts. Everyone thought the man had died from illness, but when they actually examined his body, it seemed that he's being killed by a blow to the back of the head. This contradiction to what we believed and to what the evidence shows causes mystery. We have more musterion. <laughs> I love that word. So you may have never thought about the gospel in this way. But here, today, Paul, we read in the passage, for Paul, for the world that he lived in, Jesus Christ was a mystery in both senses of the word. Right? And so we're going to look at that today, the mystery of the gospel. So the first aspect of mystery was about something being hidden, obscure, knowledge that's been obscured. And so let's look at verses 26 to 27, where we see that Paul refers to a mystery hidden for the ages, but now revealed to the people of God. The mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Skipping forward a bit, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talks about a mystery which is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mystery, which is Christ. So how is Christ the mystery here? What is he saying about it? Right? So we talked about two types of mysteries. There are two truths here that have been hidden, which have now been revealed through Jesus. The first, uh, we look at um, the, the phrase Christ in you. So we can divide it up into two parts, Christ and in you. So there are two things that Paul's talking about here. The first is that Jesus is the Christ, right? The fact that he is the chosen one. Christ means chosen one, anointed one, sent to save the world. That first truth is a mystery to the world. The second thing, he lives in you. Christ who he is, is a mystery. And that he lives in you is the second mystery to the world. All right, so, you know, I just shared Christ. Christ lives in us. And I'm not surprised that no one's like, whoa, 
Pastor Daniel, you just blew my mind. Wow, I had no idea. Right. And I think that's understandable because you've already heard about it. And isn't it true that once you find out what the mystery is, then it kind of loses that wow factor, that awe, that wonder, right? Have you ever, you know, like, not like masterpiece TV shows or movies, but like basic detective TV episodes, things like that. Once you watch it once, you can't really watch it again. It's just kind of, because you know what happens. There's nothing in it that is really interesting other than the revealing of the mystery, right? So I think, you know, in one sense, for people who have been Christians for a while, that special something about the mystery of the gospel, we can kind of lose it. And that's when we lose that awe and wonder of the gospel of Jesus. But the thing is, the gospel is not like some cheap Netflix detective show. It is real life. You know, when you see mysteries in real life solved, like catching a serial killer, like uncovering what happened in a disaster or tragedy, like 9-11, like the Sewol ferry disaster in Korea. There was a big, you know, inquisition, investigation into what happened. People want to know, and it changes your life when you find out. And even though you've already, you know what happens, that event still stays special. There's still significance with it. That's what the gospel should be like for us. Not just, uh, I already know the ending to the story, but while this changed my life, this mystery uh, was so important and significant. It's kind of like, uh, like scientific discoveries that help us to understand God's creation more. Like when you really think about it, those things continue to have this impact of like, you know, we can take it for granted, but understanding basic things like electricity and magnetism, if we really think about it, these things have transformed the world, the way we live. Right? They, it doesn't lose that significance, that wonder. And so, to really understand the depths of the mystery of Christ, to be reminded of that awe and wonder of how amazing and significant this mystery is, I want us just to kind of file away a few facts, a few things about the context of this book. Like, what is the situation of this letter? Some things were referred to last week, but I just want to refresh. Number one, Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. This is a city in modern-day Turkey, on the southern border of Turkey. And it's a city that was filled with a mix of locals. So not like, you know, Turkey wasn't inhabited by Arabs until more recently this century. But whoever, the local, uh, the local Phrygians, that's what they were called, the local Phrygians, Roman citizens, and even some Jewish migrants. This was a cosmopolitan city like Melbourne, like the city we live in today. Right, and so Paul is trying to talk to different people with a different background and a different understanding of the world. For the non-Jewish crowd, we call them the Gentiles, they believed in gods, but they didn't know the one true God of Israel, the Bible. They didn't know his son, Jesus. 
there were still a lot of gaps in their belief system, things that they could not explain, that the Bible explained. The truth had not been revealed to them, so Christ was literally a mystery. Who is this guy you're talking about? I don't know about him. Mystery. On the other hand, God had already revealed himself to the Jews throughout their whole history. He showed who he was, explained how he made the world, why we need to be in a relationship with him, how to come into a relationship with him. And so the Jews had the truth about Jesus already with them, about the Christ. And they've been waiting for the Christ to come for several hundred years. They're waiting for him to come to bring justice back to the world, to restore the kingdom of Israel. Actually, in the Bible, the Old Testament, there's about 350 prophecies referring to the Messiah. So it wasn't a matter of they didn't know about the Christ. They actually didn't really understand how he was going to come. How is it possible for one person to fulfill all those things? That was the mystery. This seems to contradict with that. Mystery. And the last thing I want us to to know is that before Christ was revealed, the Jews believed that the only way to access God was through the temple in Jerusalem. It was like their church. Because of our sin, we were separated from God. And that's why the world seems to be a broken place. Why there are things wrong. Why there is pain and suffering in this world. And the temple was the only place where God physically dwelt on earth. And the temple rituals, the sacrifices, the prayers, the offerings, was the only way for us to be cleansed, to become clean, and to come into God's presence and receive His blessings, to be in a relationship with God. For them, the temple was the center of their religion. So if they didn't keep the temple pure, God would leave the temple. His presence would leave the unclean temple, leaving them unprotected, naked, without blessing. That was how the Jews believed their relationship with God worked. It was built around the temple. And so we see that Christ was like that final jigsaw piece that came into place. Right, for the Gentiles, he was the knowledge of how to come into a relationship with God. For the Jews, he was showing them a different way, a new way, a perfect way to come into relationship with God. He was revealing the way to become at one with God. And really, he was showing that you know, all the temples and sacrifices... They were only like a pale imitation of what he would bring when he came. They were just a way to teach us what it cost to come into relationship with God. All those sacrifices and things that were given at the temple. So what Jesus brought, he brought to 
Again, I said the, he brought to the Gentiles knowledge about God, who he is, how to meet him. And for the Jews, he also brought something else. The second part of what I was talking about, in you. He brought a new way of relating with God. Uh, a new, we can use the word, a new economy of heaven. A new way God worked with his, with his believers. When Paul writes, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's saying, for those who believe Christ, Christ who is God lives in you. This is so different from what the Jews used to believe, that God would only be present in this small section of the temple, the only place on the entire planet where God's physical presence dwelt in Jerusalem. But you know what happened in AD 70? The temple was destroyed, physically destroyed. But you know, also before that, the temple was destroyed. So in the spirit, when Jesus died on the cross, he actually ended, destroyed the temple worship, the institution of the temple. And when he rose again, when he was resurrected, the temple was spiritually rebuilt in his body. A new temple. A temple that was not limited to one place. And when the Holy Spirit came, uh, last Sunday was actually Pentecost Sunday, when we remember the Holy Spirit coming to the early believers with you know wind and fire and speaking in tongues. That event meant that not only was Jesus the new temple, but that he lived in us. Because every believer had the Holy Spirit, the fire on top of their head, showing that the Holy Spirit was now inside of them. The presence and power of God is inside every one of us. I right? can see how, how different that is to what the Jews used to believe. So that was this hidden knowledge that Jesus brought with him. The second mystery was the contradiction. Like, this doesn't make sense. So let's just look back to the beginning of verse 26. And let's all read that first phrase together, that first few words together. Chapter 1, verse 26. Um, no, 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 not verse 20, 24, sorry. The beginning of verse 24, up to the first comma. So when you're ready, let's go one, two, three. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Good, up to the first comma, sorry. On the ESV version. Uh, so joy, rejoice, joy in suffering. Suffer, suffering. These are two terms I think we've been seeing a lot in our community lately. In sermons, in prayers, in Bible passages. And not just we've been talking about them a lot, but they've actually been connected. Rejoice, have joy in suffering. Like one, a few sermons have really hit upon that point. Rejoice in your suffering, which is what Paul says here. And this is not, so joy is not like... Um, taking like sadistic pleasure in your own suffering, right? Joy, spiritual joy is different to fleshly, earthly pleasure. 
right? So we're not talking about people who enjoy hurting and pain, right? But it means to see the world in thanksgiving and praise even in the midst of your suffering. That's what Paul's saying. And on the surface, that doesn't make sense. So who, who can look at this phrase, rejoice in your suffering, and, and think, oh yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe think about how your non-Christian friends would, would take that sentence. Like we've, we've heard it a lot growing up, most of us. How would your non-Christian friend receive that? Like, wow, that's really good wisdom. I'm going to now be happy while I suffer. It doesn't make sense. Definitely not to the world outside the church. And even for some of us, it's still hard to really, like when it comes down to it, to really accept that as the wisdom of God. You know, the Jews knew a lot of suffering. But even for them, this was a contradiction. Joy in suffering. Love my enemies. Bless those who persecute me. This Jesus guy, this guy is a mystery. This guy doesn't make sense. That's how they would have thought, a lot of them. And like I mentioned, even more so for those who did not know God, for the non-Jewish Gentiles. For them, like worshipping God, religious worship was meant to lead to blessing, prosperity, and happiness. If this was wisdom, then I don't understand it. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense with the way I understand the world. This was not only hidden from them, the truth of this wisdom, it was a contradiction. It, did, it was actually, it seemed wrong. And that's what Paul says in his letter to the first Uh, His first letter to the Corinthian church, which is a very similar type of Greek city, uh, a church in a similar type of Greek city. So he says in chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom but we preach christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and folly to gentiles but to those who are called both jews and greeks christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than that of man The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. It is a paradox. It is a stumbling block. It is a mystery. How can we accept a God who tells us to have joy while we are suffering? I can't believe a God that allows suffering, let alone tells me that it's a good thing. I've heard stories about Christians who have turned away from the faith because of suffering they go through, death of a loved one. They can't reconcile that with their understanding of a God of love. And so they turn away from Christianity. It doesn't make sense to them in their minds. 
It's a paradox. It's a mystery. And it's the same. To the Greek, you know, which is the same philosophy that the Western world has today, the Greek culture back then, it's foolishness. It contradicts sense, common sense. For the Jew, they can't accept a Christ, a Savior who's weak, who dies, who's crucified in shame, tortured. I need a powerful Savior who can deliver me from my enemies and establish the everlasting kingdom of God on earth. I need a God who helps me to succeed in my life. I need a God who helps me to prosper, get married, experience the blessings of life. I want to be part of a church that is triumphant, powerful, influential. The mystery of Christ is that on the surface, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like strength. It seems like weakness. It doesn't seem like a wise way to live. It seems like stupidity. And if our heart is not open to Jesus, we stop at that point. We can't go deeper into this mystery, into this hidden wisdom of Christ. So what will you do when you are faced with a decision in life that kind of forces you to deal with this contradiction? Integrity in your workplace. Following the way of Christ would cost you thousands of dollars, paying taxes, you know, doing things the right way. Or it may mean you have to sacrifice a career promotion. You may have to sacrifice this or that. You may be ridiculed. You may experience social ostracism for following the way of Christ. What will you do when you're faced with a situation like that? And so I think the first step when we're faced with a kind of contradiction is that we try to resolve it with like different explanations. We try to make it kind of not a contradiction based on what, whatever facts we can reach out at. So in Investigation Couple, this wonderful TV show, uh, the doctor, the, the coroner, Peckbaum, he discovered in hospital records where the husband was kept large amounts. Are you writing this down? No, it's very important. <laughs> he discovered that large amounts of painkiller medication had been stolen around that time. Ooh. And that same day in that afternoon, the wife's fingerprints were found on the button of a potential witness they found dead in her apartment. New evidence. It's, it's crazy. It's too, too crazy to be, but it's true. It happened in this drama. Actually, it says at the beginning, these are all fictional events and characters. So the... The, uh, the coroner, Peckbaum, he takes these new facts and tries to synthesize an explanation 
that can unravel this paradox, make it make sense based on what he has available to him. So he goes, okay, this is my theory. The wife injected her husband with medication to kill him. Then as they struggled in the hotel room, she pushed him and he fell back and hit his head on the wooden couch armrest. And that's how he died. But they just, she just covered it up as, and he died from his cancer or whatever it was. Was he right? No. He was still wrong. So even within the church, even at that time, there were people coming up with different theories to try to solve this contradiction. How can a crucified man be the Son of God, be Savior of the world? How can foolishness be wisdom? So people would say, well, if we look at it this way and if we take this away, if we fix this, change this a little bit, then yeah, it kind of makes sense now. Okay, so Jesus isn't fully God. He's just like an angel, right? And um, Holy Spirit is not really a separate individual, but he's just like the aura of God. So getting, let's get rid of the Trinity that doesn't make sense. This is easier to believe and accept. Right, this is what was happening in the early church. And I'm going to go into this a bit deeper next week. But we see in chapter 2, verse 4, what does he say? Paul says, I'm saying all of this to you, so everything up to this point, in order that no one may delude you by plausible arguments. He knows that this is how some people try to resolve paradoxes, contradictions, by doing something that is in line with our rationale that makes sense to us now, something that we can accept. And I think sometimes we can do that. But what that does is it actually leaves you with a tainted gospel. It sounds good. It's easier to believe and share with other people. But it's a powerless gospel that leads to no lasting fruit. You may feel better about it now, but in the end, what is the goal? The goal, Paul says in verse 28, the goal is, he, the point of everything he's doing, the point of the church, is for everyone to be presented fully mature in Christ. But if you can't go beyond this mystery, this contradiction, beyond what doesn't make sense in our natural minds, then you can never fully mature in Christ. You can never become the man or woman of God that you know, God wants you to be. If, if we try to change the gospel to make it easier to accept, to unravel the mystery. You know, at that time, these different Gospels were producing people who were very religious, doing a lot of actions, or they were very like spiritual and pure in their bodies. Like they're very kind of like um, spiritualistic, because that's you know 
the resurrection didn't make sense. So let's get rid of the resurrection. Let's just focus on the spiritual aspect of God. Jesus came back as a spirit, not as a man, a living person. Right. But when we have, when we stick to the real gospel, to the true gospel, then it will lead to us becoming fully mature. It will lead to us transforming and changing to become more like Christ. And it will lead to everyone here. So he says in verse 2, everyone to be encouraged in heart and united in love. The mystery of Christ cuts through religion for the purpose of salvation. So doing actions in order to earn your relationship with God. You know, that's what the temple represented. And it also cuts through human pride. I have the wisdom to figure life out. I'm in control. I can become God. That is what the Greeks treasured, ascending to this place of spiritualism that went beyond the physical. That was eternal life for them. So I wanted to I want to leave us with this question, with this thought. What is the thing that stops us from Okay, I coin I'm coining this new term, be living. So not believing. You take out the middle e, be be living. So living out, believing, living out the mystery of the gospel of Christ. Just let it let it sink in. It'll it'll work. Believing living the mystery of the gospel of Christ. All right, so maybe you don't feel like you've heard the full gospel. Then it's like the first type of mystery. I just don't, I haven't heard about it. I don't know what it is. Or maybe it's that second type of mystery for you. I can't get past that contradiction, the paradox, that mystery. If it's the first one, I want you to ask and pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and ears to fully reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, that it will go into your heart so that you can truly, you can accept His saving love into your heart. If it's the second one, I want you to ask yourself, is it because you still trust in an external temple for your salvation? Going to church being pure, being part of a, like a big church. You know, for, for some people, their, their faith is, it's dependent upon the church around them. The church is meant to help us grow in faith, but it is not the total sum of our faith. The temple is inside our hearts. It's not around us in the external Or maybe you need to think, is it a contradiction because it's, it seems like foolishness to me. The Word of God just seems like foolishness. You know, joy in suffering, strength in weakness, wisdom in foolishness. That Jesus is God and man. All these things, they seem, I can't believe them. They seem contradictory. Or it could be, you know, part of all of the above. 
But I think that's something that we need to continue to ask ourselves, especially when you see areas of your life where we are not making Christ as Lord. Like that was last week's sermon, the preeminence, the Lordship of Christ over our lives. And so what can help us? You know, if we're stuck in that place, what can help us? Okay, so I'm not saying that investigation couple was anointed by God. But do you know what turned the case in investigation couple on its head? They performed a 3D facial reconstruction scan on the head of the body. Apparently you can do that. And they found that the face was different to the husband. It wasn't the husband's body. Oh, snap. And so they said, okay, has the body been switched? How can we find that out? They examined dirt that was lodged inside the body because you can find out where it's from by the different chemical contents in the soil, apparently. It's so educational. And it revealed that it was actually from a different graveyard on the coast when they were located inland near Seoul. The bodies had been switched. And that led to the truth being revealed. The husband had died of a lethal dose of medication she gave him. And they went through the funeral and stuff. But then she discovered he was adopted. And she didn't really know the law that well. And so she thought that he didn't qualify for the inheritance. And the child that she had, the whole scam was, was up. It was, they wasted their time. But the other thing is, she had a secret lover who she was conspiring with. And when she told him, he got angry and they had a fight. What are we going to do now? And they struggled and she pushed him off and he stumbled back and fell down and hit his head on the motel wooden couch armrest. That body they found was her lover. Not only that, it doesn't stop there. She discovered that she was pregnant. She discovered that she was pregnant, but she thought it was her lover's child because IVF has a very low probability of working. And so she decided, so it's like, how can I still get the money? I've got my lover's baby, but I need to somehow convince them that it's his baby. And so she got the cemetery operator to switch the bodies in the grave and then waited three years for the bodies to decompose so you can't tell the face. And then appeal, like lie and appeal like, oh, I love him so much and all this stuff and get them to do a paternity test but they don't know who the body in the grave is really. And it's going to match. And they're going to say, oh, oh, it's his baby. You should get all the inheritance. That was her grand plan. But her plan was foiled. The mystery was unveiled. The paradoxes unraveled when the truth about the switching of the bodies was discovered. So what was the point of that? I wasn't just to tell you the end of the episode. How does this help us solve that mystery of Christ in our hearts? 
when we're stuck at that place of contradiction or hiddenness, obscurity? How do we push through that place and step into the freeing, healing, wonderful power of the gospel? It's when you discover, when you learn the truth in your heart about that one man who switched his life for another. Yours. I did it. I did it. <laughs> you know, the whole point of last week's message, as I said, was about the preeminence of Christ, the Lordship of Christ. But then God came. God came as a man and exchanged his life for humanity. So this God that we are saying is so great and awesome, the truth is he came as a man, exchanged his life for ours. And when you understand this fact, when this truth becomes kind of planted in your heart, then the mystery starts to unravel. The foolishness does become wisdom. The weakness does become like strength. The wisdom of God comes alive in our hearts. The hidden becomes seen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. The love of God is that light in the darkness that makes the hidden seen. His love for you, for the whole world. But it's not a love that's only about our comfort and happiness. Right? That's where we started off. Joy and suffering. How is that love? But it's an eternal love that wants what's best for you. That wants to pre- present you fully mature in Christ before the Lord at that final day when Jesus returns. And it's a love that wants you to believe that Christ is in you. The power of God is in you. The love of God is in you. The hope of glory. So yeah, so let's uh, go. Let's examine our hearts, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, expose those parts of your life. You know, whether it's work, you know, the way you look after yourself, relationship with friends with people in the church your view of church you know sharing the gospel with the lost whatever it is ask him just to reveal those areas where the lordship of christ the love of god have yet to fully penetrate into your hearts to break through that mystery the contradiction the hiddenness you know so where is it that you find it most difficult to fully trust in jesus and follow his word despite how foolish or nonsensical it seems. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you, God, that despite our sin, our brokenness, you still reached out across the universe to save us, to bring us into a relationship with you, and to reveal yourself to us, God. And Father, we just pray for those areas in our hearts, in our lives, where we still can't fully understand your love, God, where it seems like a contradiction, where it's just hidden. It's it's obscure, God. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to 
to come, come alongside of us as we go through this journey of learning more about you, of opening ourselves to your love, God. And may your love cut through the fog, the darkness. May it bring revelation and clarity in understanding how amazing you are, God, and how Jesus is truly the one and only way to everlasting life, to peace and and true joy in you, God. So, Father, we just thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry for spoiling the show for anyone who wanted to watch it. (laughs) 